Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, July 18th, 2022, and this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebrecht with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Hero, and this week we got a very cute fish. We're talking about lump suckers. We are very pleased to welcome back Ketchikan, Alaska artist Ray Troll. And Ray, you actually joined us last year to talk about ratfish. So that was a, a fun conversation we had with you last year. A fun and rambling conversation talking ratfish. And that's, that's arguably my favorite fish. But, you know, lump suckers are right up there, too. Okay, perfect. I found out about spiny lump suckers. Fell in love with these fish. I fell in love with them so much that my second tattoo is one right there, you know. We're getting but, showed a tattoo uh, right now. So you got a heart. Is that a heart with an arrow going through it? That's a heart with an arrow through it and, and a lump sucker. Uh, so, and I, I wrote a song called Lump Suckers of Love, which maybe you'll play at some point. We would point love in to this. hear an <laughs> excerpt from that song. I think so that'll you, be our first song on the show. We had Brett Albany's really? rap about the holiday darters. Last year, but this is this will be our first song, so maybe we can play a clip of that. Down below, deep blue sea, there's a, a spiny lump sucker for you and me. Way down below, the deep blue sea, there's a, a spiny lump sucker for you and me. Looking in your big So there you go. (laughs) Yes, when I see your little ventral sucker, it makes me want to curl right up and pucker. Well, can't you see your little, you're my little tiny orbis of love. But what's cool is when we, we, yeah, little Eumicrotremus orbis is species name. And um, so my band, the Ratfish Wranglers, and I'm wearing the t-shirt today. When we play that song, I get the whole room going, lump suckers of love. And I go on about what, you know, what a lovely little fish it is and perhaps the cutest fish in the sea. You know, what is cool is that everybody sings along with it. Then we bring it down and I do a little science lecture in the middle of it to talk about the scientific name. But I also point out that it has absolutely no commercial potential whatsoever and which usually gets a cheer from the crowd <laughs> because we're not exploiting these fish in any way they're just out there and that's why i kind of come around to like they're just out there they're lump suckers of love they look so cute and they're just going about their business and we humans you know we don't eat them let's get into their description a little bit i mean they have a pretty literal name they're a lump sucker ray could you give us a little description of what these fish look like like what the heck is a lump sucker basically they're about the size of a golf ball is the way I describe them. They look like a spiky little golf ball. At least one species does, the Pacific spiny lump sucker. And they have a little ventral sucker on their belly. So on their belly, it's this really totally weird and ultra cool thing is that their pelvic fins, basically the legs of the fish, have become a sucker. So they're, mm-hmm. yeah, literally a spiny lump sucker is what it is. But it's just so fun to say. 
Yeah, they're super cool. And they use that suction cup, those modified fins to suck on to like eelgrass or rocks. I was even, I was looking online for a picture for today and I found some sectioned onto some balloons and an aquarium too. So they're pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting little fish. There are some great photos online. If you Google lump sucker or spiny lump sucker, you'll see like there's this one where somebody's got their hand out and they've got a lump sucker on each you yep, know, their fingers, you know, that's a uh, fistful of lump suckers. Or... <laughs> Speaking of that suction cup, seemingly it's for attaching to things, but what purpose does it serve? How does it serve their sort of life history down there in the ocean? From what I've read, and I think what people have, you can observe too, it's basically, you know, so that they can stick in one place, literally stick in one place mm-hmm. in the current especially stronger currents. And we know the tidal currents here in Alaska are really, you know, like a raging river sometimes. But these, they're just feeding on little things that go by. They can't swim very well at all. They just kind of sink and rise. And they kind of putter. They're so cute when they kind of flutter around, you know. (laughs) But they've got to hold fast, you know, literally hold fast. So onto pilings, you know, rocks, uh, you know, on the bottom. There they can kind of feed off of uh, either larval fish or planktonic nutrition of some sort, you know, that there were a lot of things that are much bigger than them. So I was reading that they can get eaten by a lot of things. So like seals and skates and sperm whales, sharks and orcas are just some of the animals they've documented eating this fish. They'd be easy pickings if they're just floating around. Yeah. And they sit on the bottom and as so the like, you know, the seaweed and stuff, you know, the kelp starts like literally growing on them, the algae. And so they do kind of become just, you know, camouflage like that. So they can be, you know, also if there is something smaller than them, they do have sharp little teeth. They could lunge then at something, you know, and be a lunging lump sucker. Lunge Wow. Wait, I like the alliteration of that. Their appearance is fascinating. And I was actually reading around on the Monterey Bay Aquarium site, and they said that their skin feels like old mold crested jello. Have you ever handled one of these fish? I have. Well, I have a couple in jars, uh, sadly. I can't say that I've ever actually encountered a live one, I mean, that I was able to touch. But but yeah, they are uh, the turbicules. Recently, there was a New York Times article, and it is based on the research of this woman by the name of Carly Cohen. She's a graduate student down at University of Washington, and she's working with Adam Summers. They found that those turbicules, the little spiky bits all over them, are actually odontodes. Odontodes. You guys are the ichthyologists. What are odontodes? Odontodes. Guy. I don't, I mean, <laughs> you don't know. I'm I, I've, I've never heard that term before. I mean, obviously, it's got the root odon in it, so it's going to be like it's a, a tooth. Yep. There you go. Yeah. There's a clue. Yep. yep. So, actually, those those spikes on the uh, the spikier ones are actually teeth. And mm-hmm. uh, well, you can think of them as teeth. They're kind of a modified, yeah, it's like, but it literally means tooth. And when the little baby lump suckers are out there, They've got these little turbicules that, you know, they're born with a bunch of them around their mouth. But as they grow older, basically those turbicules, those enamel substance spikes start covering their entire body. And the New York Times article starts out with this description, which kind of, you know, I was just looking at it this morning because I was studying up on lump suckers. <laughs> the nightmare of the Pacific spiny lump sucker starts with the teeth. Needle sharp, lining the rim of bulbous lips, 
A single fin crowns the fish's head like a mohawk, and spiked studs cover nearly every inch of its body, recalling an armored car from a Mad Max movie. But then she goes on to say, Pacific spiny lumpsuckers are certainly one of the cutest fish that you can find. So this article actually kind of disses them at first, but then they come around to, they are really the cutest fish in the sea, I think. And they only get to be about two inches or so, you know. I actually have a bronze of one right here, too, that a friend of mine actually did. And this is... He's holding up a dark Right there to the microphone. Yep. How was that made? Was it sculpted or was it cast? What's the deal with that? It's cast from an actual lump sucker that was given to me. My friend Gary Staub, who's in Kearney, Missouri, I sent, I mailed him the lump sucker. And uh, this is almost a trophy sized spiny lump sucker because it's reaching three inches. Sadly, he did it so it could stand up so that you can't see the ventral sucker. Oh. And I have a few in jars from uh, some of the uh, collection people. And actually, every now and then, if uh, satyrs will run into these, they find them in their seines when they're going for salmon. And lo and behold, there's this cute little fish. And they'll pop them into a jar and send them my way. So that's cool. I have a few. Let's talk about their love a little bit. So do we know anything about how they spawn and where they spawn? I mean, these guys are covering some ground in terms of coming into spawn, I think, in the summer and then kind of spending time alone in the winter in deeper habitats. But what what do you know about the actual lovemaking of the love sucker? I think, well, some of the accounts say that they migrate Mm -hmm. to go to places to get together, but males are kind of a different color. And I think the males will kind of become red. When they're yep. ready to do the thing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, they seem like they change color over time. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, I did not know until I was researching a little bit more this morning that I, they actually puff up too. So just like a puffer fish, they will inflate. And the mystery of how they inflate is still to be solved by ichthyologists. Oh. But females lay the eggs. I think they're broadcast spawners. I'm pretty sure they are. But I think then what happens is that the males defend the egg nest. Yeah. Yeah. I read they suction on to the nest and they'll fan the eggs with their fins and just they won't even eat while this is happening. They're yeah, pretty good protectors. Yeah. The mysteries of the spawning and the get together and just all these beautiful little lump suckers. Yeah. (laughs) Here in Alaska, we have 10 species of lump suckers and the most common being the Pacific spiny lump sucker, the little guy. But There is a species that gets to be about the size, well, actually in the lump fish family, there's the smooth lump sucker. Have you ever encountered one of those? I saw a picture and they definitely are smooth. (laughs) How about you, Guy? Have you seen a smooth lump sucker? Again, I've only seen pictures. So beyond the ones I saw at the aquarium, I've only seen uh, pictures of them. I've never actually gotten to hold any of the spinies or the smooths. When I was out in Maine, we were out trying to get juvenile salmon on a big boat out in the ocean. We caught some of the ones out on the Atlantic Ocean. And they were, yeah, they were, I guess, about softball size. They were blue. Yeah, oh, I yeah, had never cool. seen them before. And they were so cool. Yeah, the Atlantic species is is the lumpfish. And they, uh, they're they harvested in the North Sea for their roe. So they're like yep. a delicacy. But yeah, they get to be about 16 inches or so. They get cabbage-sized, look like little floating basketballs. But what happened, like in the the year 2014, when I was at the Alaska Sea Life Center up in Seward, 
somebody walking along the beach found a big clump of fish eggs. And it turned out that they were smooth lumpsucker eggs. They didn't know what they were. So they brought this whole big group of eggs, the big skein of eggs, to the aquarium. And the fish keepers there decided to try to hatch them. And lo and behold, they were actually smooth lumpsuckers. And suddenly they had like in this one, like four by four foot tank, they had like a hundred smooth lump suckers. Oh, and it was cool. just incredible. And I happened to be there at the time when, oh my God. And then it just filled the entire tank and I started photographing them. And then I, I took a bunch of pictures and I sent them to Kitty Mecklenburg, who's up in Juneau. She's a fish researcher. She's been sorting out some of the taxonomy of these fish. And she noticed that on these smooth lump sucker photos, it's a different genus of lump sucker that they had uh, a first dorsal fin exposed, which usually most of the ichthyology books say they, the smooth lump sucker doesn't have a, two dorsal fins. Hmm. So anyways, I got to nerd out on that and it was really cool. Coming from Alaska, I guess I was happy to see that. I mean, Ray, you mentioned we've got 10 species here, but it said that most of the species are found in the North Pacific. I thought that was neat that we have a rich diversity up here in Alaska. And one of the interesting things I was seeing over with the Atlantic ones is they actually use these in conjunction with Atlantic salmon farming. So oh, right. the lump suckers can, right. um, they can help control the sea lice. They'll eat the sea lice. So that was a neat symbiosis, I guess. Yeah, but what they're doing is they've been put to work eating the sea lice in those farmed salmon places. Yep. Maybe we could find some work for them here somehow, huh? I don't know. Put those lump suckers to work. Yeah, right. Work for the salmon. <laughs> Lazy lump suckers. <laughs> the other one I read is that Iceland actually has a coin that features the lump sucker, and maybe that plays into the importance, as you mentioned, with the roe. But I thought that was, I always like to see a fish on a coin. If you dive deeper into that, the lump sucker in uh, Icelandic culture in particular is, is an important fish. And uh, it's kind of one of their, I, you know, they identify with the fish. It's the roe. There's a book that a friend of mine said, I must read. The, it's called The Fish Can Sing. It's one of the revered Icelandic novels. And uh, it features lump fish in that book quite a bit. I also wanted to share an interesting Alaskan anecdote, too, is that a few years ago, there was a Fish and Wildlife Service biologist by the name of Mark Romano, and then Mayumi Aramitsu, who works for USGS. And Mark contacted me, he sent me an email and said, you know, since you're into lump suckers and the My Lump Suckers of Love tattoo art has been out there, it's on the internet and all that, and we wrote this song. And so Lump Sucker Love has been spreading throughout the world <laughs> through my the band and other people's efforts, you know. But they said that when they were in Glacier Bay, they were doing fish sampling and they found these beautiful spiny lump suckers that were aqua blue. Mm -hmm. And they had never seen it. Have you heard about this? The aqua blue lump suckers of Glacier Bay? No, not specifically of Glacier Bay. I've just seen photos where they are striking blue color, but that's... Yeah, this is this is like turquoise. And what oh. was cool about it, and I did a whole drawing on this, the, the Glacier Blue lump suckers of uh, Glacier Bay... And what was so awesome is that they basically are matching the color of the icebergs, you know? Oh, that's cool. And isn't that cool? That's and I wonder cool. if that's a speciation thing. Maybe they're speciating there in our, you know, here in the lump sucker capital of the world. Yeah. Like the, the juveniles can match their habitats. And then, yeah, it sounds like the adults change the color. They change when they're spawning. But there are other fish that also match the color I've caught um, or haven't caught. But I've heard about lake trout and some of the glacial lakes in Alaska being more like a grayish 
color. And depending where you're fishing in the U.S., there can definitely be variation of coloration of fish. But yeah, some fish are able to immediately change their colors, like a, you know, uh, like a cuddle. Well, some cephalopods can, but yeah, I'm wondering if it's an evolutionary thing where it's really longer time period, you know. So yeah, that's cool. I see bay. I'm gonna try to get a lump sucker. Seems like you could figure that out pretty easily if you're able to get the eggs from some of those fish and just uh, kind of rear them in a new habitat, see if they retain that blue color or if they are more similar to their surroundings. Because, you know, there, yeah. there are, I've, I've heard stories about, you know, like northern pike that are in heavily vegetated waters and like some of the Great Lakes, like Lake Oneida and stuff, where they'll get really bright green. And of course, that's probably not an evolutionary thing. It's just sort of a surrounding habitat sort of deal. Yeah. Well, I say evolution responding to habitat. And basically it's that interaction, obviously, that starts to affect populations and where they're at. And I, I think it's also worth bringing up, you know, parallels, if we're talking about parallels between other species, you know, the lump suckers have that fused pelvic fins to make the disc, but they're not even the only species that have done that. There's been kind of parallel evolution in things like the gobies, where they're able to kind of attach and like move up waterfalls and things like that. So yep. it is kind of cool that you- Right, they have kind of suction cups, yeah. Yeah, you have different lineages of fishes that aren't particularly closely related that have both come upon the same solution for being able to stick onto things. This fish is kind of reminding me a little bit of the Pacific football fish in ways like, you know, some of the fish that aren't as commercially exploited, we know a little bit less about them. So for all of these different lump suckers, I mean, I don't know if there's a whole bunch of people studying them or anything, but it seems like there's a lot of mysteries still to unravel with species like this, where they're kind of, you know, deeper in the ocean at times, not harvested. I mean, it's not like we're out targeting lump suckers when we're fishing or anything either. Yeah, just uh, fish enthusiasts might target them to look at, you know, but, yeah. and to behold. But uh, I, I think, sadly, you know, there's not a lot of work that's done on the more obscure species. If there's not a commercial aspect to the fish, in other words, if, you know, we're not harvesting or eating them, you know, there's not much science that goes on around them, you know, because yeah. they're just considered either bycatch or just some weird fish we'll never deal with. Yep. But and it can be pretty expensive doing research out in the marine. Yeah environment too but maybe we could start a gofundme thing to research <laughs> i don't know have you come across any lump suckers in the fossil record when you've been doing your research for for your art and things like that when i did go deep into my nerdology on um, um, the paleo into things yeah i'm always wondering like where do things come from how do they break out they, they belong to the snailfish family so we know genetically right mm -hmm. so they're in that family and then broader, more broadly. So that's where you try to get the taxonomist who talked to the biologist. And that's where you start sorting that stuff out and whether or not you do run the genome, that kind of thing can really tell how things are related. But no, as far as I know, I've never seen a lump sucker fossil, you know, yeah. so they probably don't fossilize all that well. Yeah. Well, it seems like they got those, they got those tubercles. So you'd expect, you know, you I see know. all those fossilized shark teeth and stuff. So you'd, you'd think that they would be at least somewhere. Maybe we need to look a little harder and someday we'll find I'm them. dig into that. That's no, cool. you're right. And maybe uh, since you're out in Kansas, man, you could uh, head out to the chalk out there and see if there's a Cretaceous lump sucker out there Ooh. in the Niobrara Formation. Uh, <laughs> I'm not much of a paleontologist. You need to add fossils to your list. Get that one going. Yeah. Guy's got a big spreadsheet of fish he's caught. He's need to find some fossils now.
we're covering all the fish and this one is a fascinating fish that's pretty charismatic, I think, to get people's attention about fish. So I think char- charisma is worth something, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really worth something. It ooze charisma. I was actually recently up at the Oregon Coast Aquarium there in Newport, <gasps> and they got your cruising the fossil coastline exhibit. And it was Dude. great to see all that. And not only did they have the exhibit there, and you got to see all your illustrations and all that stuff, they also had both ratfish and lump suckers on prominent display there in the aquarium. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm glad you saw the show. It's up until August 21 of 2022. How many different species of lump sucker have you drawn, Ray, with your art? Well, I pretty much have stuck with just the uh, Microtremus orbis, the Pacific spiny lump sucker. They, 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 my heart belongs to them, but I have photographed the smooth lump sucker and let it be known that I am a lump sucker enthusiast uh, at every uh, genus level. Within the Eumicrotramus genus, there's just quite a few varieties here, you know. There's the toad lump. I'm just leafing through the book here under Eumicrotramus. And there's the bumpy lump sucker. There's Lindbergh's lump sucker. There's the toad lump sucker. There's the Papalos. Uh, yeah, Papalos lump sucker. There's the Alaskan lump sucker. There's Siberian lump sucker. The Leatherfin lump sucker. The... Soldatov's lump sucker, and there is the pimpled lump sucker. Oh, wow. There's the Pacific cool. spiny lump sucker. And lastly, there is the Atlantic spiny lump sucker. What? That's here in Alaska, yeah, too. What? That doesn't seem right. But it's found in Alaska. Katie's got it. It's sort of off the North Slope, more Canada ish. So maybe those Atlantic, I don't know, there's emerging the lump sucker group up north but uh that was kind of fun to read through those thank you it was fun <laughs> we need a poster of all the lump suckers i'd buy that know your lump suckers maybe i'll get them all tattooed all the way down my arm here you know there you go oh, i was just gonna ask is, is the only time that like a, your, your typical person not out on a boat not actually trying to actively research these or commercial fishing for these gonna see them is it when they kind of just come into spawn i guess the short question is how can a typical person actually go out and see these, or is there any way? Like the typical person can, well, the easiest place is to go to a uh, your local aquarium and here in the Pacific Northwest. So I know right now that uh, so they do come in season. So they're hard, they keep them for a few years. They don't live too long. I think two to three years or so, thereabouts. So the best place is to see them in the aquarium, but you, you can go snorkeling and see them around in, in shallow areas. I snorkel. I've not seen one yet in the wild, but uh, I would look, you know, go stick around the docks and, you know, go under uh, a dock, perhaps go in the shallows. Then um, if you're working on a seine boat, you might actually see one <laughs> stuck in the seine there with all the sand. They usually toss them overboard. Another good place is the internet. There are a ton of photos and I'm actually looking at iNaturalist right now. And there's quite a few pictures of lump suckers. Yes, there's, you know, there's a cult of lump suckers out there. And then I'm glad that I've done my little part to help out in the cult of (laughs) lump sucker love. If anyone else wants to get a lump suckers of love tattoo, I'm totally for that. So we can, (laughs) you know, share that if you like, put it on the list. My list of tattoos I want. You have my permission. <laughs> well, I think it's so cool that you guys are doing these uh, podcasts centered on obscure fish and um, and fish that we all, all ought to know about. Because I think, you know, advancing 
knowledge of the natural world is always a good thing, but also the more we cultivate fascination in the world, the better off we are because it shows great respect and expands our knowledge. And it really helps us connect to the natural world. So I think, you know, when you do things like this and talk about fascinating little fish, you know, why are they, they're talking about fascinating fish and, you know, fish can be hard cannot be all that charismatic sometimes, yep. right? Uh, most fish enthusiasts, most kids are going to know about sharks because they get your attention. But there's not a lot of kids that know about lump suckers. But if you talk to them about it and, you know, they've got some charismatic, there's something about them. You can't quite, you know, maybe articulate it somehow, but you just know that they're cool. And like, and you say, look, they're so cute. No, and like, they are so cute. cute. Yeah. So anyways, what you guys are doing, more props to you. Big shout out to what, you know, uh, Katrina and Guy, what you're doing here on uh, Fish of the Week. Right on. Thanks, Ray. Well, it was great having you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great having you today. And we hope everyone gets out there and enjoys all the fish and lump suckers need love too. So get to know them. We all need love. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by David Hoffman, production management by Gabriella Montequin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. We honor and thank and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.